Good evening. As Gav said uh, just before, we're uh, still working our way through the Gospel of John. We are approaching the end. Tonight's text comes from what we call the Upper Room Discourse. It's the last, well, four chapters uh, at the end of Jesus' ministry, at the end of his time with his disciples, where he talks to them about some stuff he obviously considers to be important. Um, As you remember, uh, he washes uh, the disciples' feet, and then Judas leaves, and Jesus begins to talk. And so from chapter 13 to about the end of chapter 16, Jesus is talking about um, the fact that he's going away, the fact that the disciples have to carry on the mission that he began. He tells them that they have to abide or remain in his love. And he promises that a Holy Spirit is coming, the paraclete, the helper, the advocate, uh, is coming to help them in their ministry. And at the end of three chapters of what is essentially a monologue, he prays. And so tonight in chapter 17, we're going to look at that prayer. Now, before you get your hopes up, when I started digging into this text earlier in the week, there was just too much stuff. Uh, We are not going to cover everything that Jesus prays about tonight. I understand you have jobs to go to tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And if we tried, we would be here all week. So tonight, I'm simply going to touch on the high points. Okay, so Jesus prays. He prays about himself and his mission. He prays for the disciples and their continuing mission. And finally, he prays for us. He prays for those who will believe through the ministry of the disciples. He prays for us. And so if you'll turn with me in your Bibles, uh, tonight we're looking at uh, John chapter 17. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all people, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me I have given to them, and they have received them and know in truth that I came from you. And they believed that you sent me. I'm asking on their behalf, I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. 
While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not, on, and not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they also might be sanctified in truth. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. That they may be all, sorry, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love in which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So there's a lot in there. Um, I counted all the so that's. There's about nine of them. Um, obviously, so that is there because one thing leads to another. Um, and we just don't have time to look at it all. This text, we could talk about the nature of prayer. We could talk about what it means for Christ to be glorified, what it means for us to glorify him. There are just so many things. And so tonight, I'm just picking up on one thing. Unity and the mission of God. So what was Christ's mission? He said in verse 6 that he came to make God's name known. Now, when the Bible uses the word name, they're not just talking about a collection of sounds that you use to get a person's attention. Scott, Ian. They're talking about something much more significant. So when Jesus says, he protected the disciples in the name that God had given him, or in God's name that he had given him. He's talking about protecting them through God's authority. He's talking about protecting them according to God's will or according to God's purpose. So in the movies, you know, Inspector Clouseau, he says, stop in the name of the lure. The name of the lure is not some magic phrase that makes criminals stop in their tracks. He's asserting the authority of the law to tell those criminals to stop. 
It's not a magic formula. It's not something that we say at the end of prayers to make God give us the thing we want. God, I need a red Ferrari in Jesus' name. I drive a gray Mazda just for the record. The phrase in itself is not a weapon that we can use to beat the evil one. There is no inherent magic in that phrase. What Jesus is saying is that he protected the disciples and he sends us in the authority of God, in God's name, according to God's purpose, by his authority. And so when Jesus talks about coming so that he could make the Father's name known, he's talking about revealing who God is, revealing his character, revealing um, God's divine purpose. So in the Old Testament, the, the people of Israel had the, uh, the law, they had the prophets. They could read what God wanted of them. Um, and when they got it wrong, God raised up prophets who came along and said, hey guys, you're getting that wrong. And when they really got it wrong, God raised up superpowers from other nations and came and took them into exile to really tell them off. What we have now revealed in Christ is the incarnate Logos, the living embodied word of God, who came and dwelled among us. We no longer have to read about who God is. We can see who God is. As Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. His mission on earth was to show us who God really is. He pro and he proclaimed the words that God gave him. In verse 8, he came and he showed and he told. There were two aspects to his ministry. And the disciples received those words. And as Jesus says, they now know in truth that Christ came from the Father. And because of that, they received eternal life. And this, he says in verse 3, eternal life is to know the Father and the Son. Not just know about them, but to know them, to be in relationship with them. That is what eternal life is all about. And that was the mission of Christ, to come to show us who God is and to reestablish that relationship that was broken by our sin. And if you think about it, at this point, the disciples haven't done all that much. You know, they've hung out with Jesus for three years. They'd done some miracles. They'd seen some miracles. But Jesus knew very shortly that they would run and hide. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew that before the sun rose the next day, Peter would deny him three times. His closest friends, his followers, would abandon him and run away. And yet he still said, I have achieved my mission. These guys have a relationship with God the Father. Their failure, their success was not relevant. It's about the relationship they had with the Father. And that was his mission. And so with this mission in mind, in verse 18, Jesus says, As you have sent me into the world, so I send them, the disciples, into the world to continue his mission. And we know that was successful because we're here tonight. And so in verse 20, 
the focus shifts from the disciples to those who will believe in Christ through their word. Words that the Father gave to the Son, who passed them on to the disciples, and they took to the world. They were sent out and they proclaimed the gospel. From those guys who ran and hid, who were hiding in a locked room, just over a month later, those guys were on the streets of Jerusalem boldly proclaiming the gospel. They died because they passed those words on. They gave their lives to pass those words on so that others could hear, so that we could hear. And those words have been passed down through the generations. Those words continue to spread. They are spreading to the ends of the earth. And that is our mission. That was the mission of the disciples. And that is our mission today, to spread the words that Christ gave to the apostles. So how do we do that? What does this text tell us? First, the church must be united. According to the internet, there are over 40,000 denominations of Christianity worldwide. 40,000. That's 40,000 different opinions of who God is, how we should worship him, whatever. If we are that fragmented, how can we be united? How can Jesus' prayer actually be coming true here? Well, firstly, there are two kinds of unity. Actually, there's several, but Jesus refers to two. The first is unity of purpose. Jesus prays that the disciple would be, disciples would be protected in the Father's name so that they may be one. So, firstly, the Father and Son are united through the mission that they have to the world. They're united in purpose. That purpose was to reveal the Father or to make the Father's name known. And in the same way, all 2.3 or 2.4 billion Christians on the planet today have the same goal. That is our purpose. We are called to reveal the Father and reveal the Son to the world. We are here to make him known. To see that the word of God reaches the ends of the earth. And that is why the church exists today. It's not a bless me club. It's not a holy huddle. It's not a ghetto where we can hide from the world. It is, as Jesus said, a light on a hill. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden, or it should be. Our purpose has not changed since Jesus took flesh and dwelled among us. Yes, we have different theologies, apparently 40,000 of them. Yes, we don't all agree on everything. But we have eternity to sort that out. We can sit around for eternity and discuss how I was right. But now we all have a common mission. We are called to reveal the Father to the world. We are called to make his name known. We are to be united in purpose. Secondly, 
and probably much more difficultly, we are called to be united in being. In verse 21, Jesus said, he prayed that uh, they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Now that goes beyond the unity of purpose. The example that Jesus gives is a reference to the Trinity, the perfect oneness of three in one. Just as the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father, so we collectively are to be in them. That's the standard we're aiming for, the Trinity, perfect oneness. Now we have the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the helper, the advocate, who lives within us. The Holy Spirit helps us by guiding us, by correcting us. But that's only where it starts. The Holy Spirit helps, but we have to practice what we preach. Now, the reason I say practice what we preach is because practice makes better. We are on a journey. We're not always going to get it right. In fact, quite often we don't. But we need to keep trying. We need to keep practicing. And we will get better. The goal is perfection. The example set by the Trinity. In verse 26, Jesus says, I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. That's part of our unity. God's love. God's forgiving love. His compassionate love. His love that reached out to us while we were still his enemies. His sacrificial love. The love that made him give up his glory with the Father and come here and die on a cross. Which he was about to do. Which he referred to as his glory. He was going to be glorified through death on a cross. And so if we truly know the name of God, if we truly know his character and his nature, the result is his love will be in us too. It will infuse our community. It will color everything we do. It will influence the choices we make. It will influence the way we treat people, the language we use. The world around us should see that. Our unity should be visible to the world so that the world will know who Christ is. The world will know who God is. The world will know God's nature. But this unity is not an end in itself. There's all those so that's. It is so that the world will believe, so that the world will know. It's a visible witness as Jesus prays in verse 21, he says, pray that they would be united so that the world may believe that you sent me. So that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. We are united so that the world can see the character of God reflected through our relationships, displayed in our communities. Unity proves the reality of the proclamation of the gospel. And proclamation is the second part. 
It's not just good enough to live it. We also have to speak it. Jesus had words that God gave him that he passed on to the disciples and they have passed on to us. And it is our job to pass that on to the world. Our actions only demonstrate the application of that message. We have a message that tells of the nature of a loving God, a compassionate God, a forgiving God, a righteous God, a God who reached out to us, a God who offered us a way to restore the broken relationships. That is the message we bring. Both our words and our actions together must make his name known. The church must live what it preaches. The church must live in unity. Now, there's many techniques out there for church growth. I did Google it. Um, shorter sermons could work. Maybe make church more entertaining, you know, be attractional. Um, seriously, though, there are a lot of ideas out there. You know, develop a mission statement prioritizing church growth. Build stronger children and youth programs. Encourage involvement. Focus on creating relationships within your community. Partner with neighboring churches. You know, they're all there, and they're all good ideas. These are conversations we should actually be having in our church. The message needs to be relevant to the world we live in. The emphasis of the message doesn't change. We are sinners. We need a savior. That should not change. But the way we reach the world, that's an, that's an important conversation we as a church should be having. But, and here's the big important bit, if the community does not demonstrate unity, if we don't have that unity of purpose, that unity of being that Christ prays for, we're wasting our time. A quote I read last week while I was researching all of this. The biggest barriers to effective evangelism, according to the prayer of Jesus, are not so much outdated methods or inadequate presentations of the gospel, but realities like gossip, insensitivity, negative criticism, jealousy, backbiting, an unforgiving spirit, a root of bitterness, failure to appreciate others, self-preoccupation, greed, selfishness, and every other form of lovelessness. We can have the best programs. We can have the shortest sermons. We can have the best strategies, the nicest buildings. But if a non-believer steps through these doors, what are they going to see? Will they want to stay? Like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, I'm sure we've all heard this at weddings. If I speak in many languages, if I know all the stuff, if I have deep understanding of all the great mysteries, if I have faith to move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm wasting my time. I am nothing. I am worthless. If God's character, if God's love is not on display openly in our community, we are nothing. We are wasting our time. If we're not making his name known to the world, we are wasting our time. Do we practice what we preach? Does the world know 
that the Father sent Christ through the way we live as a community. We can say that, but can the world see it? Can the world see the love of God in everything we do? If a non-believer walked in here, would they want to stay? Let's pray. Father God, you left us with a very important mission. A mission to be your people in a world that needs you. Lord, you gave us words to speak, a, mes a message to take to the world. And you gave us your Holy Spirit to be in us, to guide us, to help us. Lord, I pray that we would become the community that you want us to be. I pray that you would help us to be united both in purpose and in being. I pray that you would help us to consider the needs of others before our own. I pray that we would demonstrate the love that you showed us, the self-sacrificing love that caused you to lay down your life for us. We just commit ourselves to you tonight, Lord. As we go from here, as we go to our work tomorrow, or whatever it is we do during the week, I pray that we would continue becoming the people you want us to be through the power of your name. Amen.